Let him have it, Chris. Let him have it, Chris. Let him have it, Chris. Let him have it. There's a button, a switch for everything. You're listening to Aerial View Worldwide on the Internet. What kind of radio show is this? I heard his voice on the tape and it really put the hook in me. I'm how to talk to people. Sometimes he agrees with the caller, other times he sets him straight. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? They said when you got here, the whole thing started. Who are you? What are you? Where did you come from? I think you're the cause of all this. I think you're evil! Evil! 
Hi, I was wondering if this was the same Chris T who does um, the radio show. Because um, if it is, I think your show is really great. Um, but if it isn't, um, I'm sorry to have bothered you. Hey, you today. Hi, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, followed by the doo-wop chop-chop of the air, crashing the party with Mark and Miriam at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. All right here on thehoundnyc.com, where tonight you've got Aerial View, a talk show that's been around in one form or another. Since 1989. Yes, I find it hard to believe as well. Sometimes I'm incredulous. Incredulous! At just how fucking long I've been doing this. Yeah, a little voice inside me that says, Why? Why are you still doing it? That's the question. Well, for nights like tonight, when I welcome back to the program... W. Earl Brown, who has uh, been a guest numerous times on this show. We like to check in, oh, every six months or so to see what's going on out in Hollyweird. Do people still say Hollyweird, by the way? Does anyone still say that? Anyway, Earl's here to talk about two great projects. Uh, One that is on now, you could see now called Paul T. Goldman, one of the most fascinating shows I think uh, we've ever watched. Sweet T and I watched it, and each time we thought we couldn't squirm anymore, we did. It's squirm TV, as I like to call it, but it's so much more than that. Oh, it's so fascinating, and I can't wait to talk to Earl to see just how the hell he got involved. And then uh, upcoming, a week from today, February 17th on Apple Plus TV, a a series called Hello Tomorrow about a man who decides to sell timeshares on the moon. Oh, wouldn't that be nice right about now? Go to the fucking moon. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Just get the hell off this planet for a while because this planet here, this planet here is nuts. It's nuts. And just when you think it can't get any more nuts, it goes and does exactly that. It gets even more nuts. Uh, I just opened up the New York Times because I like to do a little bit of an uh, upside-down update, as we call it on this program, and check in and see what the news is. So here's the news. 
U.S. shoots down high-altitude object over Alaska on Biden's orders. Now, what was that high-altitude object? Well, sounds like it might have, could have been another one of those Chinese spy satellites. Oh, feel free to call it a balloon if you insist, but... I mean, that conjures up images of children's parties. What this thing is, it's just a massive spying device. And they've been setting these things off all over the place. They've been spying on everybody. Don't get me wrong, I'm not naive. I know we probably are doing exactly the same. But I still don't like it. I don't like what goes on there in China. I don't I don't like that Xi Jinping. I don't like the oppression. I don't like the authoritarianism. I don't like the dictatorship. I don't like any of the crap that goes on over there. I especially don't like when you start really getting into the whole lab leak theory. You remember that? It starts to sound more and more plausible. Like China probably did release a deadly virus on the world. That uh, at this point has killed, oh, upteen millions of people. And it's not done with us quite yet. So, yeah, there are a bunch of no good nicks over there. And I don't know where any of this is going because it's not going to a good place. Between Russia and China, it's none of it's headed to a good place, unfortunately. I'd like to think I can uh, get out of this life without a World War III, but who the hell knows? I'm not being alarmist. It may sound that way, but... What's that line from Miller's Crossing? The cop? I don't know nothing. I'm just speculating on a hypothesis. Something like that. Don't send me an angry letter if it's not quite correct. Is it time to dial Earl? Let's see. Let's just dive into this and see what happens. He's either going to be able to pick up or he won't. One or the other. I'm hoping he will. There you go. That's a nice, healthy ring. Hello? Hey, W. Earl Brown. Hey, man. How you doing? Yes, I'm doing all right. What's happening? What's the vibe? Out there in uh, Burbank, if that's where you are, indeed. At this very moment, just laid back and <laughs> doing a little nothing. I visited the Mystic Museum earlier today and watched the, went through their 90s slasher exhibit, which was kind of cool because it was 75% screen. So, uh, a movie you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw your Facebook post about that. So it, this is dedicated to horror films, this museum? Or slasher it's, films. Uh, the, the, uh, my first, it, I actually lived near there. It's my first time being there. Mystic Museum, the, it's horror films and entertainment are part of it. You know, they also have a section of Terra and, and all sorts of, of mystic items. And then in the back, they've been doing these exhibits. Um, they've been doing it for a couple of years. And this one was on 90s horror. And someone had recommended it to me. I asked David Dusmaltrian if he had seen it, and he was like, oh, man, it's incredible. You, you'd you love it. So it closes in about a week. So I better get out there, sounds like. 
get out there real fast. Nothing to do with Mystic Connecticut. Let's just be clear about that. There's no, (laughs) nothing at all in there about Mystic Connecticut, right? Well, that's good. Nope, not at all. Uh, Like, how many museums would you say you get to a year? Is this, uh, if it doesn't have a horror theme or slasher theme, do you still go? It depends. Usually when I'm working out of town, I'll go to the art museums. Oh, nice. Like, I spent quite a bit of time at the Toronto Art Museum last year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or was it 21? I was in Toronto for five months in 21. So yeah, when I'm when I'm in a major city, I'll usually go to the art museums. The one in Montreal I've been to, they got a nice art museum in Montreal. I haven't been to the one in Toronto, but didn't you I've and only, I go I've, to LACMA one time? I th- or meet for lunch or something. I'm trying yeah, to remember I if we. You there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's a good one. That. That's a good museum right there. Um, I, I'm so happy to have you with have you with us, and it's such a, a weird coincidence because. You know, you said you want to talk about a couple of projects, and we had started watching Paul T. Goldman on the Apple. uh, No, actually on Peacock. Let me correct myself on Peacock. Yeah, it's Peacock, yeah. And you hadn't appeared yet, because I don't think you appeared to like the third, fourth episode. Third one. Yeah, third episode. And we were just uh, kind of stumbled on it from the AV Club. They had been talking about it. And it sounded fascinating because I'm a big fan of Nathan Fielder and the director, Jason Walliner, in addition to doing the second Borat film, Borat subsequent movie film, had worked with Nathan Fielder. And and this has some of that feel to it as well. And it's hard to talk about this series without spoiling it for anybody. So I'm going to try not to give anything away, but... How did you get involved? Who who reached out to you to be part of this? Because he he mentioned how it really was about the casting, and he had very little to do with it. The Seth Rogen, he and Evan, um, his writing partner, they produced it, and they uh, they sent it to me. They they did a little video of um, introducing the project, and me and <clears throat> Dennis. There were a handful of people that they knew that had worked with before that they asked to be in it. Um, so that's how I came about to me. And then I saw there was a sizzle made five years ago for Hulu. Um, you know, a sizzle is like a little 10 minute version of it, five to 10 minutes. And they had done the fantasy sequence stuff that comes in a little bit later. Hulu passed on the show, which I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's so weird. And my daughter saw it. And she went, dad, you've got to do this you've got to do this. Um, so that's, that's how I signed on to it. Um, and then parts of that Hulu sizzle are in this finished version. If you watch it all the way through, it's, it's so hard to describe what it is. It, you know, at first you think, Oh, they're just punching down. They're making fun of this poor guy, you know, and uh, there's an element of that, but it quickly turns it on its ear. And it's really kind of an indictment of, of, um, reality television or reality inter- crime entertainment how you know we manipulate stories to make them more entertaining um and oh, yeah. truths and half truths it's about the the lure of fame because you know paul finkelman desperately wants to be famous mm-hmm. paul it, it, the core of it really happened because jason looked back and, and found you know there's truth at the core of it but then What's true? What's Paul's fantastical interpretation of it? You know, because he started writing basically fan fiction about his own life. And then by the end, you get Jason 
you know, calling his own motives into play. I don't know if you've, if you've watched through all it's, six episodes. Oh, yeah, we've seen that. We watched the finale yeah. last night. And, again, I mean, it's it's easily the most meta thing I, I've seen on television. Yeah. I, I said on, on Facebook it keeps folding in and folding in on itself. Yep. And it keeps expanding its original mission. You do think initially this is a story about a nebbish who um, his wife uh, leaves him. And he begins to put together this evidence, trail of evidence that he thinks leads to her being a madam. And you, your character, Royce Rocco, running a sex trafficking ring. And it leads to a book called Duplicity. And just out of nowhere, he he's tweeting at all of these dis- different directors. And sometime around 2011 or somewhere around there, 2012, he tweets mm-hmm. at Jason Wallner. And jo- Jason Wallner says, well, let, you know, let me take a look at this material. And the genius of what he did is he saw something in it that I don't think anybody else did. And and he manages to draw that out. And the fact that this thing was gestating for 10 years well, see, is pretty it fascinating. Was, it was the su- success of the Borat film, subsequent movie film. When that hit uh, and did, you know, did really well, Jason, basically Jason was allowed to do whatever he wanted. And he wanted to go back and do Paul T. Goldman. Um, so that's how it came about. Yeah. And um and and I read the only reviews, the only negative, there were two negatives I read. And they were both both you know, he's just punching down making fun of this poor guy. Well, no, if you watch the whole thing, it becomes much more than that and really calls that into question. Oh, and I was it, so moved. I mean, by the time it ended, I was getting a little weepy. I mean, the father son yeah. stuff that's in this, the Yeah. you know, I could certainly relate to you know having a cold father and the when yeah. when you you know, one of the things we we really got hooked on that show Euphoria on on HBO Max and and it, we had put it off for watching it for years, but one of the brilliant things they do on that show is they bring these backstories in after you've met the characters and they contextualize what you've already seen. And it it opens up these characters and it gives you layers of these people that you didn't know were there. And initially you're going to think this guy is a nebbish. He got taken advantage of by a woman. He's been eking out his revenge in any form possible. And then it just becomes this other thing entirely. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, I I had a newfound respect for this guy. I really did because he set out to become the star of his own movie, and he does. I mean, how many people well, do that? I asked Jason because you know because he's been working on this for a decade, and I said, "Did you or anybody you know work on The Office?" And he said, "Actually, friends of mine did." I said, "Did they see the Paul T. Goldman Chronicles?" Because Threat Level Midnight, Michael Scarn is the Paul T. Goldman Chronicles. If anybody's listening to this and they watch The Office and that episode where Michael Scott makes his own super super spy movie where he plays Michael Scarn and he's the hero of it, that's basically what Paul Finkelman uh, did when he created Paul T. Goldman. Paul T. Goldman was his alter ego. He was his James Bond yeah. that was going to right all of the wrongs. And not the only and, one. Uh, he's got several alter egos in this. He's also Ryan Sinclair. <laughs> apparently yeah um, but, so, what, but yeah it's uh it, it i hate to see you know it's not hardly gotten any promotion and you know i've worked on a few things i've been really busy the last few years one thing right after the other because there's been such a, a glut of product being created and you know five days of memorial that i did for apple tv yeah the last time we spoke ordinary yeah. drama and 
it got very little promotion. Very few people have seen it. Uh, and the same fate seems to be befalling Paul T. Goldman. I ran into um, – I went to David Desmalchian had a um, signing his comic book, Count Crowley, Volume 2, came out. And, and uh, anyway, Patton Oswalt was there. And we were chatting. And he goes, what have you been up to? I haven't seen you in a few years. And I start listing, you know, these things. <laughs> and, like, like, most of them, most anybody haven't seen them. And he, he said, I know Jason. Jason actually directed – one of my comedy specials, everybody's talking about Goldman. I said, people may be talking about it, but they don't seem to be watching it. So, so, um, so you, I mean, are you uh, privy to those audience viewing numbers from Peacock? Is how, no, how do they no. tell in the streaming era? I mean, they can tell, right? How well, many they, people are watching? They have their own numbers. Nobody mm-hmm. touts them. They keep them under the, I mean, every streaming service, they keep the real numbers hidden. Yeah. Um, so you just know from the the public side guys of what people are talking about. Where you know, um, well, you and I are talking about it. Damn it! I mean, yeah. Well, it, I worked on the damn yeah. thing. Of course, I'm talking about <laughs> That's it. That's right. Yes, but but uh, what what about working with with non actors? Because he, the thing that happens in the series, there are six episodes. Is uh, Paul Finkelman, aka Paul T. Goldman, acts as himself. He's himself uh-huh. in this. And I mean, you've worked with non-actors before, weren't there? Non-actors on on Deadwood, for instance, and not that you had scenes well, with them. There, uh, there were a few people that were, you know, real cowboys and stuff that people that David brought in mm-hmm. to be. There, there were a couple of instances. One in particular, of um, um, he had been an actor in college with with one of our cast members, and he had lost his home in Hurricane Katrina. And David's like, ah, we're going to we're going to make his dreams come true. I'm going to create a role for him here, you know, in our show. And then, you know, he showed up and didn't have the chops. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, you make the your college baseball team. That doesn't mean you can play in the major leagues. Yeah. Um, So there's been a few instances of that. But the the Paul T. Goldman thing, I was kind of at a loss as to how to approach this. Because the only way to really make it work is to play it straight. If you get a sense that, you know, I'm goofing on the scenes or goofing on the character. Yeah. Uh, but but then when you're trying and, you know, hell, Paul was there directing us. Um, I mean, you saw it in yes. some of the scenes. He's yeah. right there off camera. Yeah. Um, and And some of what he says actually sounds helpful. It sounds like it's not that crazy. Some of it is, but some of it sounds like. But, but that. That's another meta layer to this whole thing of, you know, what it takes to actually tell a story, to make a film, to make a good one. You know, what it takes to act a scene, to bring a scene to life. Because you see in some of, you know, because Paul wrote it and Paul's in it, Paul Finkelman, you know, and, and, and the writing is so obvious, you know, yeah. on, on, its, on its most obvious level, the writing is not good. But then the way that Jason approaches it and allows things to unfold, make it incredibly interesting. So, so yeah, I tell everybody, I highly recommend it. Oh, it's so, it's, it's really fascinating. And I hope to God that, I mean, come Emmy time, come Emmy time. continues to spread on the thing, you know? Yeah. Um, The last episode, um, the last episode, I mean, he was working on it until just recently because the finale has, Oh, some very the, the recent information. Yeah. 
Um, so That's the first time I saw it, I'm I'm there with my daughter, yeah. who's a huge Nathan Fielder fan, right? And Nathan sat right near us, yeah. Um, and you know, and that's that's that sense of humor, that sense of uncomfortable, awkward. That's right in my daughter's wheelhouse. That's the stuff she loves. He was know? he was quoted as saying Jason Wallen was quoting his quoted as saying that when he spoke to the cast, he said, "We're going to quote embrace uncomfortable moments." Unquote. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're. I, I absolutely. I I reached out to Jason after I watched the all six episodes, and and again because Jason kind of called himself to task. You know, mm. um, he, he doesn't avoid putting himself under the microscope, and uh, and I the way he humanized Paul and the whole enterprise was just was just ingenious. He's so, he strikes you know, me as a very said, man. Anytime, whatever. It, it, Something you're doing in the future, if there's anything I can contribute, count me in. So, I was I was going to ask that. Is this somebody you, you, you'd like to do more work with? You know, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, and and the way this qualified, I mean, none of us made any money on it. You know, because it, it didn't even qualify like as um, it's a docudrama, so it mm-hmm. falls under the auspices in the union of of like reenactment. You know like unsolved mysteries reenactment kind of stuff, you know? So, you know, making money on it. There's some heavy hitters in this cast as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, beyond yeah. yourself, I mean, had you worked with any of the folks that are in this previously? Uh, Seth, Seth and Evan, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it was there. Uh, that's what made me pay attention to it. I come to find out. I mean, I'm used to, I, I love Barat, the subsequent mm. movie film. Yeah. I mean, you know, hell he did that whole Rudy Giuliani thing. And I, I said, what's That's the story right. there? Yeah. And he told me that. And, and then he said, you know, the instance when they're at that rally, um, he says, that really got kind of scary. Because, mm. you know, they had to run away in an ambulance. They had this ambulance there waiting for him to hide in. Um, so anyway, I admired that. I knew, sort of knew who Jason was uh, because of that. But I didn't know him. Um, super nice guy. I, yeah, well, so, I, great experience. Absolutely, uh, Paul T. Goldman. It's on Peacock right now. Mm-hmm. You can sign up nine ninety nine a month. You could also watch Poker Face while you're there, and uh, we've been enjoying that as well. The show with Natasha. Well, I have an, another one that's opening in two weeks mm-hmm. or next week. Next on next uh, Friday, Apple right? Plus, another yeah. Apple Plus show. Uh, it's a comedy. It's called Hello Tomorrow. With uh, Billy Crudup and Hank Azaria are the the two lead leads, um, and I'm in most six episodes of that. I think I'm in. Um, I haven't seen any of it yet. There's a premiere in New York. Um, I think it's Monday or Tuesday, but I'm out in L.A. So they they sent me an invite. Do you want me to go uh, in your stead? Of- I'm right here. I'll go as you. <laughs> if you want? It's not a problem. Well, I've already turned it down. They'd sent me. I thought I'd RSVP'd, mm-hmm. and then they they wanted to know my car service, where the car could pick me up. <laughs> Los Angeles, <laughs> pick me I'm up in Los, Los Angeles. Angeles. It's gonna be a pretty long. That's drive. gonna be a long drive. Yeah, not so, that it, um, that would be interesting. But I think you know it's it's uh, it's an unusual show, also. So um, have my it's, fingers crossed. It's described as like a retro futuristic. It, it, the trailer uh, is yeah. out there. You can go watch the trailer, but it's. Um, about a guy who uh, sells timeshares on the moon, and it's it's, it's it's Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. It's set, you know, it, it's what they they envisioned the the future to be in the nineteen fifties. 
you know right it's the, the production design looks like that you know when we were in the atomic age with all the cadillac fins and and all the the space age uh accoutrement to to modern living this is what they imagined life would look like in this time period and so i said it's glenn gary and that they're timeshare salesmen selling timeshares on the moon yeah because <laughs> that's the place of the future that's the place to be and who are you um, in this what what's your role i play um Big Fred is a debt collector. Uh, Hank's character is an, a, a bad gambler, and he's not a very good one. And uh, he owes a lot of money to the wrong people, and I am the man who is sent to collect it. Ooh. Now that is a right-up-your-alley role for W. Earl Brown. Like. Did you, uh, Scary and funny. Did you dig into uh, that one? I did. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working with everybody. We shot there in Brooklyn. Mm. Um, I was there. Well, Omicron variant came through and shut us down for two months. Um, but I started in November of 21, November, part of December. And so I got to spend part of the Christmas season in New York City. And then we resumed, I, I want to say uh, March, maybe late March of last year and, and finished it. So, and so now, yeah, and hopefully we'll, we'll get to do, you know, more of it. If it happens, I'll be back there in New York. Uh, for season two, because they talked to me about what what might happen to Big Fred in the second season. Back at uh, what is it, Silver Cup, or that's is that's uh, we weren't at Silver Cup. Um, we were in Williamsburg. Um, okay, I forget the name of it. I stayed at the the Wyeth Hotel and the the um, um, oh god the Jackson. I can't names escaping me at the moment i bet it was nice but it, it i think what is it the brooklyn navy yards over there i think they turned part of that into a film production studio but it's uh, over yeah, near that yeah it's yeah. over near that there's a couple of studios right there in that in that neighborhood do you ever find that um, ironic that you're in los angeles and you're going to brooklyn to shoot stuff i mean that's is well, that... that's my first time doing that's my first yeah. time shooting in new york did you like um, it was it enjoyable was doing this show say it again did you like that was it enjoyable doing you know that experience? i did yeah, yeah. Um, it, I wish we hadn't been under all the COVID restrictions. You know, the yeah. city was starting to loosen up a little bit. Right. Um, and I got over, I got to see the David Burns show on Broadway, which I absolutely loved. Um, and then I got to see Cold Country, the Steve Earle play that was, um, at Cherry Lane. So I got to see a few things, I but ran, I never I, lived there. Were, I mean, I started in Chicago. Yeah. I went to school in Chicago and started in theater in Chicago. Uh, my sights were always set on TV and film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wanted to be in the movies. But uh, so I never lived or worked in New York until this one. Mm-hmm. I've been there, well, you know, for promotional events and whatnot, but never shot there. It's a fun place. Uh, the wife and I have been, you know, now that she's uh, retired and I'm semi-retired, we're we're getting into the city every week. We're going and doing something. It's uh, it's a great mm-hmm. big playground full of stuff to do. <laughs> so we like going there. Uh, w. Earl Brown is my guest. He is uh, he's in a couple of shows you you want to watch right now, and one is called Paul T. Goldman on uh, Peacock TV, Peacock streaming platform. Six episodes about this guy who uh, is working in what he calls uh, he, he describes his job as like the worst job in the world. He says life in hell is uh, what it is. He's working for an insurance company, and and he just decides to change his life and it's kind of remarkable the journey this guy goes on and 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 you have to see it you have to see it to to believe just what happens but it's 
I don't know that people are picking up on the poignant side of it and and the very moving story in that, especially the father-son stuff. Like I said earlier, he's got his own son. And to see how he tries to change the dynamic with his own child is is pretty interesting. So uh, you, you have to stick through it, you know, to this this all six episodes mm-hmm. because it changes tone yeah. as it progresses. Um, because at first it looks like, oh, this is low hanging fruit. We're making mm-hmm. fun of the oddball, right? Um, and there's again, there is an element to that, but then it kind of turns that on its ear of why and how are we and. You know, it's it, yeah. And what what Jason Walliner does that's so smart is that he brings himself into it, as you said, and he questions his motivations and why he's yeah. doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. and and putting that in rather than leaving it out was was a very smart choice to make because you can you can indict yourself in in that way, but. Uh, honestly, I felt by the time this thing was over that his motivations, his motives, might have started as one thing ten years ago, but it seems to have changed over the oh, course yeah. of that oh, time. Oh, I think so, so too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and the other one we just mentioned was is called Hello Tomorrow. It premieres Hello Tomorrow next Friday on uh, Apple Plus or whatever they call their streaming service, Apple. So you're getting more work out of streaming these days than anything else or, or what? Well, that's where most, you know, it, it was peddled to the metal in production because all of the country, uh, the companies mm. were were trying to, you know, lure the consumers to their product. Yeah. Um, and th- that's starting to cut back now. I mean, you're seeing the, the changes at several of the studios. Yeah, I think Disney um, just announced 7,000 people they're laying off or something. Yeah, well, 7,000 yeah. positions. Yeah. Um, my wife actually works at Disney. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but all of them are kind of regrouping because it, it all started, you know, Netflix, because they started streaming. Yeah. And they, the whole thing was a, a Netflix creation. And the the studios quickly realized, why are we licensing our movies to Netflix to stream when we could be streaming them ourselves and making the money? So Netflix saw the writing on the wall back about four or five years ago. They recognized, you know, without these movies that we have that we're depending on the studios for, we don't have a business. So we need our own movies. So I forget how many billions of dollars they spent in, you know, and there's so much good stuff that was made um, that that most people, a lot of people don't even know about. You know, there was that great Doug Kenny movie um, that Will Forte and, and uh, um, uh, um, God, names escaping me. I've watched that movie three times. It's called A Stupid Feudal Gesture. Uh, and it's a biopic about Doug Kenny. Most people don't even know it exists. It's a Netflix production. Um, but th- they were just making all of these movies and TV shows because they needed the library. Well, then the, the, the studios that were launching their own streaming services, well, we need that much fresh product to compete with Netflix. So, you know, there's a plethora. There's a lot of good stuff out there. I just put um, that in my it, queue. Uh, Doug Kenny was a National Lampoon writer. I was a National yeah. Lampoon subscriber. Brilliant, oh, dude, you've brilliant watch guy. And uh, Will Forte plays uh, Doug Kenny in this thing. So uh, you have not seen it yet, have you? I haven't seen it yet. We watched Rock Stone, Brilliant Dead, but we haven't seen this yet. So we want to see this. I've watched it three times so far. Um, Were you a subscriber? Did the the magazine come to your house? By the way, part say again. National Lampoon. Were you a subscriber? Did they mail it to your house back in the day? Did you pick it up on the news? You know, I was a Mad Magazine kid, Mm -hmm. and. The Lampoon was a little too brainy for me when, you know, I was in, when I started falling in love with comedy. 
in middle school and high school age. Yeah. Um, it was, I was really, it, I, I, it, Lampoon was way past its prime by the time I really paid attention to it. Yeah. It had um, a period there where it was really good. It's kind of declined, um, unfortunately, but it was the first place I probably saw tits was, was National Lampoon <laughs> of all places. Yeah. It was like, that was the only, uh, that was the only lure to it. Yes. We didn't have tits in Mad Magazine. Magazine, Mad uh, Magazine didn't have those, but I mean, that... it was the movies. You know, it was Animal House is the movie made me want to be in movies. Animal House, Halloween, Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and then it was the films that they were involved with that they made that kind of led me back around to, to the Lampoon. And I've since read a lot of. And Ted Mann, <clears throat> who was one of the editors of the Lampoon, one of the main guys, he worked on Deadwood. So. Um, you know, I got to know Ted and got a lot of backstage stories um, from him. But uh, but yeah, you will love Stupid Feudal Gesture. But that's just one of many, you know, great films that have been made in uh, in in streaming in the last few years that a lot of people don't know about. But the traditional movie business is really nobody knows how the dust is going to settle on that of, you know, movie in theaters and people pay to go see a movie in theaters. Have you done that um, lately? What's the last time you put your ass in a seat and watched something on the, on a big screen besides the premiere? Last week. What? I saw Megan last week. I go to... Oh, my God. I mean, Megan? Really? I'm a, <laughs> I'm a subscriber to the AMC, so I get three movies a week, you know, as part of my subscription. So I don't go to three a week. I, I go to about a movie a week. So wait a minute, you can subscribe, and, and I never even heard of this. There's subscriptions to going to the movie the, theater? The AMC A-List Preferred. What? I think I pay like 30 bucks a month, I think I pay. Um, if you go to a couple of movies in a month, it's worth it, because it pays for itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you get to um, um, go to AMC movie theaters, Um but the thing is, you know, my, my wife has a subscription, too. She doesn't go. Mm -hmm. I go during the day while she's working. Um, you know, she might go to a movie once every two months. So I'm sure AMC makes more money at the end of it than they do by offering that. But it's an incentive to get people going to the theater. Um, so, yeah, I subscribe to that. And that's the closest theater to me. Yeah. And um, so I go. And I, I'm not one of these dudes that can watch a movie every day because I know folks that do. Yeah. If, if I see anything good, you know, I kind of want to mull it over. Mm -hmm. And like last weekend, we, we binged White Lotus seasons one and two. Mm. Um, and I just, I love that show. And I haven't watched a movie or you know, just watched sports since then. So, um, so yeah, about one, one good movie a week will satisfy me. Uh, the last thing I almost went and saw was Babylon, and then it just sort of came oh, so and, and went. In really? That. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. I, I had heard it was disappointing. Uh, unfortunately, I had a high hopes. I auditioned. I, I read for that, so mm -hmm. I don't think they sent me the entire script. But I was so eager to see that movie, and uh, yeah, I was disappointed. Are you a fan of films about Hollywood and about you know what you? I'm a fan of. I am a fan of good movies. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and and there's not any one particular genre that I'm just, you know, crazed about. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, sometimes those movies are a little inside baseball, but hell, I am inside baseball. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I, yeah. I mean, The Player's one of my all-time favorites. So, yeah, 
Yes. Um, but I want them to be good. I don't care if it's a slasher movie or a, a big budget epic or a superhero movie. I'm a little over. I mean, of course, I'm also 59 years old. I'm not exactly the target market right. for the superheroes. Um, every now and then, like I was surprised by the Batman. Um, I almost went to hate watch it because I'm like, how many Batmans can we have? <laughs> how many Batmans um, are there? Yeah. yeah and it, it was really good. Is this so, the latest um, with Robert Pattinson, that, that Batman? Yeah. 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 Yep. I loved it. I liked Saw it, it too. twice in the yeah. theater. You have high hopes for the next uh, Joker film? Um, the Todd Phillips. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Yeah. Todd always does. I mean, I've met him. I've read for him years ago. I don't know him, but, um, but yeah, I do. Cause I thought what he did with the first Joker was ingenious and what he did with hangover, the original hangover. Yeah. Um, I found his sequel kind of cynical because <laughs> he just remade the first movie, but I get why he did, you know, he yeah. had to give up everything to to make the movie he wanted to make because they didn't want that cast. Mm. <clears throat> and he took a percentage like, all right, I'll give up my money. Just let me make the movie with these people because I know this is it. And then, of course, it's one of the all time classic comedies. And um, and what he did with Joker was phenomenal. And that uh, the, it got a lot of pushback in certain areas for certain reasons, but I just I'm a big Joaquin Phoenix fan from way back. I mean, I oh yeah, you know, yeah. I I could there was a number of films leading up to that for which uh, an Oscar would have been <laughs> would have been the right thing. Yeah, I've, to do. I've worked with him. I've, I've, yeah. I did the Master with Joaquin. Oh, are um, you in the Master? I didn't even know that. Oh my God, that's one of my yeah. favorites. It's uh, that that big fight scene. Mm-hmm. I'm the businessman that gets in a fist fight with him. Ah, okay. Um, I gotta go rewatch that now. Um, I Phil- mean, it's it, and, and it's a big, long scene, and it's all in one shot. There's no edits. That's it's me uh, and Joaquin beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> <clears throat> Philip Seymour Hoffman's last film, I think. I mean, it's um, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson wrote it and directed. It's sort of the story of L. Ron Hubbard uh, and and. Mm-hmm. You know, this wayward uh, character played by Joaquin Freddie Quell, I think the name was, who yep. gets mixed up in all of this. But uh, Amy Adams is in it as well. Jesse Plemons, who's always fascinating to watch. I think it's, and, it, that's a brilliant film. A lot of people don't like it. Oh, um, I even like the music. I mean, what was it? The guy from oh, I uh, love everything Radiohead who I mean, did the music for that? If memory serves. Anyway, go track that one down if you haven't seen The Master. It's pretty yeah. pretty fascinating. Uh, W.R. Brown is my guest here. And before we run out of road, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the latest uh, news out of um, what happened on the on the set of that film, Rust, um, with Alec Baldwin being charged. Because the last time we spoke, we had touched on that subject. And do you uh, do you think they did the right thing by charging him? And um, not that I'm going to ask you what happened or didn't happen because obviously you weren't there, but does the charge sound like it was the right way to go in this case, as far as you're it's, concerned? I, it's none of my business. Mm. You know, I have followed it, yes. Yeah. Um, and and because, you know, I deal with, uh, you know, I did a Western last fall down in Durango, Mexico, where mm. I get shot right in the face. Mm. And, and, I'm, and I told him, I said, I want blanks in that, um, because my reaction you know, it has to be timed perfectly. Mm. And, 
And um, so, you know, and we talked about the rough circumstance and we were extra super special careful. Um, so, yeah, it reverberates through the entire industry because of it. But there was, you know, as I understand it to be, failures at every level. And there's a lot of blame to go around. Mm. No one is blameless in that hierarchy of responsibilities. Um, and no one person deserves all the blame, uh, nor does any of them deserve absolution, in my opinion, complete absolution. It's a sad situation. Nobody meant for it to happen. Yeah. Uh, and it shouldn't have happened. If, if protocol had been followed, um, it wouldn't have happened, but protocol was not followed. October 2021 is uh, when this took place. Cinematographer Helena Hutchins uh, died as a result of the shooting. The director was injured. Uh, there is a mandatory five-year jail sentence for involuntary manslaughter, which is what he's been charged with. His attorneys are pushing back, of course, saying that there's legal error in this case, an elementary one, and that he shouldn't have been charged at all. But we wait and see how this plays out. Do you think the industry is going to, you know, move away from blanks and make everything uh, CGI at this point? There's a lot of sets now. I'm, I'm reading about shoots that are happening where they won't even have. They'll have weapons, but there won't be anything in the weapons, not even blanks. Yeah, um, some people will. Um, I still prefer to have blanks. Again, I just got shot in the face mm. and I got shot about 30 times. <laughs> what, the hell did, about what the hell did you do? We, now I wonder that we did these takes and, and it's just physiologically the sound, the smoke, everything. You can't get that in, in CGIing the gun barrel. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why I, you know, I wanted the real thing, uh, you know, it, Again, if protocol, when you treat weapons handling like it's lower down the list of priorities, yeah. uh, that's where problems happen. I had on, on um, five days at Memorial that we shot in Toronto, I have a pistol. My character does. Um, he's a doctor, but he had a pistol in his office. And our weapons handler, of course, the first AD's job is we got to, you know, we stay on schedule. We keep going. The first AD was kind of rushing us. And uh, the, our weapons guy was going through the safety check and the first AD was rushing the process. And the weapons handler said, stop right now. I either do this in a proper manner or I'm taking these weapons and walking off the set. You know, and it's not like ours was a big shootout movie with all this gunplay. It was just a character carrying a real weapon in his pocket. You know, and that's what we have to have. You have to have a... a weapons handler that has the power to stop things if we're we're rushing if we're you know um and that's what didn't happen on that movie so uh the the safety protocols are there if we follow them everyone's safe if we don't we're not yeah so, um and i i prefer no i prefer as much live action in the camera i don't care what kind of stunts we're doing um, if it's if it's relatively safe, I will prefer to do it uh, in actuality. Now, in True Detective, um, you know, we had a lot of gunplay in that. I got my head blown off, and uh, the CG that the top of my head coming off is CGI. Uh, but we had actual gunfire going everywhere in that big shootout. Yeah, 
and you see me running. Uh, But with that, the actual fire that hit me came from off camera. So it's not like I had to respond to an on-camera weapon, um, which is what I did in the Western that I did down in Durango, because you see the guy shoot me. You see the, the weapon that he's holding and the thing in True Detective, there's the bullet was coming from off screen. So it was easy for me to react. Um, so, you know, I just did the flop backward like I'd gotten shot in the top of the head. And then they put in the my head exploding. That was was CGI'd. Now, will they pull a like a Garrett Dillahunt and recast you for the next <laughs> season of uh, True Detective? Uh, didn't he? Uh, was didn't he appear in a couple of roles in Deadwood? Uh, Garrett did, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Now that that's strictly. I mean, I did. Two, I played two different characters on NYPD Blue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's a David David Milch um, um, creation. As David didn't like, if he liked people and trusted them. He wanted to use them again. And David did not like to tell people no. Mm. You know, when some actor comes in, you know, this is their big shot. He he wanted to make everybody's dream come true. Mm. So um, uh, David did not like to audition people. So that that's how people got reused. You know, and, and David's David's days of making television are, are behind him. Um, I uh, uh, I got his book. Uh, life's oh. work. It's a damn good book. Yep. Go out and get a copy mm-hmm. if you don't have it. Um, before we run a road entirely again, uh, what's happening on February? What is it, twenty eighth in Murray, Kentucky? You are delivering an address. Uh, it looks like it's the well, the hundredth anniversary of the university was last year when it's founding, and uh, they'd real they had never had a presidential lecturer uh, be a graduate of the school. I mean, but they said like. You know, some heavy hitter people in international politics and stuff. So uh, I'm not exactly high on that totem pole of prestige, mm. but I'm giving the, the presidential address. Uh, COVID, uh, well, it was happening, but the, uh, a, a winter storm came through last year, an ice storm. So uh, so we're giving that 100th anniversary speech this year. That's what I'm doing. Do you have it all written? Is it all ready to go? Uh, well, to... I wrote a speech last year. I'm going to have to uh, to doctor up certain elements of it uh, because we are back in Lovett Auditorium, the original auditorium. It was the, last year. The renovation of that auditorium was not finished, so we were going to be in the basketball arena, um, which is you know like a ten thousand seat basketball arena. <laughs> so um, um, we are in Lovett Auditorium has has been completely renovated. So that's what I'm doing. And then I have one more one more thing I've done that it will be coming out some point this year. I played um, Alabama Governor George Wallace in the Shirley Chisholm biopic with Regina King. Oh, wow. It's a supporting role. It's a smaller supporting role, but it's a great supporting role. So I was very pleased with how that turned out. I'm looking forward to seeing the whole movie. That is fascinating. She ran for president in 1972, Shirley Chisholm, mm-hmm. and... Uh, so Regina King is playing her, directing the film. Regina plays her. Uh, John Ridley wrote it and is directing it. Ah, wow. Um, and ironically, I was, because, you know, Shirley was the congressman out of, uh, uh, Williamsburg, mm. Brooklyn. Um, so when I was working, prepping to go do that, I was there in Williamsburg in that hotel, which I thought was, uh, you know, I was reading up on Shirley's history and, and whatnot. 
Now, so, I'm proud to say yeah. that she won the New Jersey primary, by the way. So <laughs> she, mm-hmm. she did. She and Wallace were friends. That's, That's so what, bizarre. I, I dug I dug much deeper into the history of George Wallace than, you know, because I knew segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation, segregation forever. forever. That's right. Everybody knows that speech, you know, but he was a far more complicated man than that, who was actually quite progressive in his politics mm. um, until he lost the, his first election and out running for Alabama governor. And he knew hatred sells, racism sells. So that's going to be my brand. So he latched onto it. And then. Wow. Really Cynicism in politics. Who and, knew? Please. Yeah. Yeah. But he and Shirley were buddies. Um, she was against busing. She was not in favor of busing. Mm. Um, and uh, and they were friends. And she visited him in the hospital. That's the scene we portray in the movie. So um, after he got shot by Arthur Bremer, in other words, he. Yep. The yep. fascinating thing about that is that was the impetus for uh, Taxi Driver. Driver, you know, the character yep. of, uh, yeah, Travis Bickle was Arthur Bremer and his diaries. His diaries are yep. m- very much that like that voiceover. I started work on this film Yeah, because I saw the Arthur Bremer stuff. I'm like, man, this is this is Taxi Driver. Yes. And looked it up. Like, yeah. Schrader well, it's Paul Schrader, right? Yeah, Paul on, Schrader, on he, he said, yep. yeah, that's, that's who he based that on, that idea of that disordered yep. mind and... So, and stalking him and all that, you know, going to the other events before he, to find his place, mm-hmm. you know, to shoot him. And yeah. Yeah. So paralyzed from the waist down, you get to do the paralyzed stuff as well. Or are you no, uh, the, the scene? There's scenes of me campaigning that are seen, you know, in commercials and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's the big scene in the hospital, which is an incredible scene. So, no, it's nothing post him being shot. You do bear a resemblance to the man. I'll say that much. You do bear a yeah. resemblance, but uh, that he, way, so I'm, I'm quite a bit bigger than he was. <laughs> um, you know, height and girth and everything, but uh, but yeah, we do kind of look alike. So when can we expect that? Is that uh, already? I, in... I'm not sure. Okay. I, I haven't talked to John. Um, he's on shooting something else right now, and I'm um, sure they'll create so a I new streaming know. service that I'll have to subscribe to in order to see it. Something totally. Yeah. Well, I think they made the. I think they made it independently. I don't think they had a uh, a distribution deal in place when we shot it. Mm-hmm. At least not to my knowledge. So it's not like it's a Netflix production or whatnot. So yeah. So hopefully we'll we'll get to see it in theaters. Uh, absolutely. And hopefully I'll get to see you again at some point. We still we're still we had to cancel our July California vacation early because of the COVID spike. So everybody we knew was sick. Everybody we were going to visit was sick. So we canceled and we're rescheduling. But uh, maybe we'll show up. We'll show up in uh, your neighborhood and know your name. Hope to see you then. And if I get back to New York way, I'll let you know. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you. Don't forget, W.R.L. Brown is in a couple of. series right now paul t goldman you absolutely have to see it's really fascinating nothing exists like this show nothing and then a week from today dropping on apple plus is hello tomorrow a series as well and hopefully it'll get picked up for a second season about uh, a retro futuristic take on the 1950s where uh hank azaria and uh, billy crudup sell timeshares on the moon i can't wait to see that as well yeah well, you get all your listeners to watch it. Make sure there's a second season, and I'll buy you a Peter Luger steak because it's right by my hotel. Oh, <laughs> excellent. I love it. Uh, I'll go to Peter Luger's anytime. And, Earl, keep working. It's always good to see you and stuff. We'll be watching something, and it'll be like, oh, there's Earl. 
There he is. Look, there he is. So, so just keep doing what you're doing. It's always All a right, pleasure, man. Friend. Talk to you soon. There goes W. Earl Brown. And uh, now, here you go. I got a little bit of a trailer from the Paul T. Goldman show that, again, is on Peacock. You can watch it right now. Six episodes. Nothing exists like this show. I'm a regular guy that got caught up in extraordinary circumstances. This story is as accurate as it is unbelievable. I couldn't make this up. It happened to me. Paul, is this what happened? It's all been put in the book. I'm a single dad raising my son, Johnny. I always brought Johnny with me on my first dates. Then I came across a woman, family-oriented, stay-at-home mom. Audrey? Let's cut there. How does that feel, Paul? He's the main guy. He's going to play himself. Guilty as charged, Your Honor. Wow, that's weird. Action. Shortly after we were married, she was trying to fleece Paul out of money. What'd you do? I'm getting a psychic reading. I'm Terry J. I'm in Pet Psychic. I'm sensing that this is bigger than we think. What? I said that. That started the discoveries Holy. of her secret double life. She had a secret phone and she had secret addresses. This is the spot. This woman must be stopped. Thanks. You're welcome. Really, Mangan? I went and paid a visit to the FBI. In this story, every time you turn over a rock, I'm the warrior now. You'll find several more pebbles. <laughs> goosebumps. I'm in full stealth mode. This case haunts me. It started off here and it just went here. Beam me up, Scotty. I'm in the twilight zone. I don't know that it makes No, 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 no. This is the script now. Don't worry. It'll be great. All right. That'll do it for me, uh, Chris T. Here on thehoundnyc.com. Don't forget, Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern, Hound Howls, followed by Crash in the Party, do-up chop shop of the year with uh, Mark and Miriam. And this show will replay on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. In the meanwhile, it will become a podcast wherever you get your gosh darn podcasts. So I want to thank again my guest, W. Earl Brown, for being here tonight, and I want to wish you and yours a uh, wonderful weekend. It was 55 degrees here today, friends. It was like springtime. Oh, it was something. It was something. I'll see you again real soon. This is Eartha Kate again, back to remind you to take your belonging with you and to get a receipt from the driver. Have a perfect day. Wow.